You may be seated. Thank you. It is marvelous. Like to sing to the Lord. So good. Welcome. Happy Thanksgiving. Sure. Good to see you. I'm thankful. I get to be your pastor. And I'm thankful for you. Really thankful, excited for baptisms today at 1.30. It's really exciting, right? Because, uh, you know, I always, whenever we get to baptism Sunday, you just can see the evidence that Jesus is alive, that he is in and he's actively redeeming and he's saving. And when you read the testimonies, we have some handouts there uh, of just what God's doing. You just, you just get to be a part of like what he's doing when he came in his death, right? Paying for all our sin, like everything is forgiven. Like that's really good news. And then he conquers like death, life after death in the resurrection where we have new life with him and we get his spirit in us. And, and uh, so it's amazing. So uh, that's 1.30. I know some of you may have Thanksgiving dinners, but if you can come to Deep Cove, weather's gonna be good. It's gonna be awesome. We get to celebrate Jesus is alive. You're gonna hear from Eric in a second here who's gonna share a little bit of his story and what God has been doing in his life. So excited about that. I also wanna highlight uh, parents. We are having a fall festival, Shore Kids Drive-In. Uh, woo, let's see, you know, oh, come on. Tracy, would if she was here, uh, so that's going to be Saturday the 31st. We're going to have like a drive through, through St. David's parking lot. There's going to be a balloon artist. Uh, there's going to be candy. We're going to be able to pie the pastor, okay? So if you've ever felt like you just wanted to just pie me, now's your chance. If you're like, if I could just get a pie, you know, put your kid aside and just grab it. Mm, okay, it'll be fun. Uh, we just love the kids, excited about that. Uh, I want to do a little bit of teaching later on before we get there, maybe next week or the week after, a little bit how to navigate Halloween. I think it might be a little helpful, but excited. Okay, let's get into the text, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, we're in the book of 2 Corinthians, such a good book. And um, more. Uh, by the way, more information on this will be coming out Wednesday. So you can register, you'll have a time slot drive in. So you have to pick, you know, like we're going to go from 2.30 to 2.45 and you click that spot and that's how that'll work. But 2 Corinthians 3, you know, as I have in the past, let me give you some context to what this passage is really uh, talking about. And then we'll read it and you'll be like, oh, I can see that now. So uh, as you know, Paul began the church. So he began, uh, he wrote this letter to this church, not the first or second letter, but the fourth. But he, he came preaching the gospel. You can read about it in Acts 18. And, and since then, he'd come a few times and he had to address a lot of sin that they were still wrestling with. Uh, and practices, lots of idolatry, and on and on. And from there, he experienced quite a bit of uh, criticism. Like they were, they were misunderstanding him. They were really hurt by him. So he's been addressing unforgiveness, uh, all these kinds of things. He's been defending his ministry. Uh, even last week, he said, like, we're not like many of the peddlers of God's word who are just in it for cash. You know, we're, we're like, we're speaking on behalf of Christ, commissioned by God. And so as we pick up our text... One thing you need to know about as he's defending his ministry, it's really interesting, is that in the ancient world, much like today, like if you go for a job interview, uh, you, what preachers or teachers would often bring to the town with them were letters of recommendation. So they, they, they would have towns write letters after they preached and stuff and so that they could bring their letters of recommendation because no one knew who you were. There was no like, you know, YouTube. You couldn't see what the preacher was like. And so they would bring these almost like resumes, um, honestly, to not have a letter would be an indication that that person lacked a lot of evidence that, that what he's claiming is really, really valid. 
And so uh, Paul, he even does this. He's not against letters of recommendation in a, in a few places. Let me show you one. So when he's writing to Romans, uh, to the Rome, to church in Rome, the book of Romans, the letter of Romans, he sends Phoebe. But here's an example of what a, a recommendation would look like. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at I'm not going to try. That you may welcome her in the Lord and in a way worthy of the saints. So welcome her and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So that's a letter of recommendation. But here's the issue. And you'll see it as soon as we read it. There seems to be an attitude of distrust in this church with Paul. You get the sense right away either some of those in the church or Paul's opponents seem to have come with these grand letters of recommendation and they're basically saying to Paul or like, hey, Paul, where's your letter? You know, where's your resume? Where's your grounds to speak in my life? Like what makes you adequate? So that's kind of the sense you'll get. So with that in mind, let's read our passage. Um, So we're picking up in verse one. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. All right, let me pray. Father, we just thank you that... You really do love us. I thank you that. Lord, we are, we get to just be in this room right now to just be with you. And I just, I pray that as I teach, uh, Holy Spirit, you would give us a sense of joy that we want to be with you. We want to hear from you. We want to be excited about your word. We want we want because it's you that we want. Like we don't want just some teaching and maybe we have some burdens that we're like, I hope the spirit will address this, but I know more importantly, your presence addresses that. So what we need is the spirit. Like what we want, Holy Spirit, is more of you in this time. And so you're our sufficiency, not, you know, how, how good we are at listening or how good I am at preaching. It's just... The spirit in us, the spirit through me, is what we want. And so I ask in the name of Jesus that you would just minister right now. So I ask, Holy Spirit, would you come? In your name, amen. Okay, so we're going to look at just two things. I I just want to pull out two. Uh, There's only short verses. We're going to pick up almost like part two of this idea next week. But um, number one, you are a letter. This is really good. You are a letter that Jesus himself has written and is writing. So there's lots of beautiful metaphors in the Bible, like, you know, like shepherd and sheep and like, uh, you know, like, like the bride of Christ. In this passage, he sees us, God sees us as literally his letter. So you are a letter 
that Jesus himself has written and is writing. And number two, the spirit is our penmanship uh, or is the penmanship of God, but he's our full sufficiency. So that's what we're going to look at. Okay, so you're a letter that Jesus himself has, write, has written in his writing. Um, so he's like this. He, Paul's like, I do have a letter, you guys, and I have a letter that God wrote. And they're like, oh, where is it? And he's like, you are it. You're the letter. You know, like uh, the power of God through the spirit founded your new life. You literally were birthed. You became born again in responding to my preaching. He's like, that's enough. Like, you know, if you want evidence of my credentials as an apostle, uh, just look in the mirror. He's like, it's just you guys. It's how the Holy Spirit, he overwhelmed and transformed in your heart, in your life. You had this boldness. You had this transformation. When I came proclaiming Jesus is the Christ, he's the Messiah, it wasn't like, you know, merely intellectual, like, let's add this to the rabbi school that we're in. Or like, it was like, oh my goodness, I, have, I think God loves me and I'm now alive. There was this real palpable kind of presence and power of, of new life. They were joyously receiving it, right? A new change, a new energy, a divine receiving within. Yeah, I, rem- I remember, you know, just pick on Tim right now. Like, I remember there was a moment when you were coming to Westside North Shore at the time and you were just like, oh, I cannot wait. You were so excited to hear the word preached. Like, that's just evidence. And he's like, you're the letter, you know? Like, we have these stories. And so here's what one translation puts it. The only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves. He's like, your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. Now, I just think there's something here for us that we should thank God for. Like, we should really thank him, you know? Uh, so let's just, let's just do that. Like, that's really cool. Like, this is what he's done. He's like, you're a letter. So we should, that's exciting. Jesus, think about this. Think about your life. Jesus saw our lives heading towards all kinds of life without him, towards the penalty for sin, which is hell, for all of our wrongs. So he, he's, he just, just saw, he saw us just, spiraling, deserving judgment, and he wanted to write a different story. He, he just wanted to write a different story in Sean's life. You know, and, and it's just like, it's interesting because we're going to hear testimonies today, we're going to do baptisms, but that's a testimony, you know. Um, so the, the confidence we need to have in being his beautiful letter, this is really important, isn't rooted in us. You know, it's, it's not in who we read, it's not in who we follow. It's not how God saved us. The, the confidence you need to have that you are a letter of Christ is the Holy Spirit. Like the active participation and inward Abba Father, presence of God, Holy Spirit. He's like, so Jesus' character, Jesus' personality, Jesus' posture, he, listen, it's in you and, it's, and, it, and is visible. This is what he wants them to know. He's like, you're a letter that Jesus himself has written. And this passage says so. And I think too often, I don't know about you, but we feel inadequate, right? I don't know if you've ever felt like, oh, I'm not as spiritual as, you know, that guy or, or girl or as bold or, you know, they just seem to always be doing more for Jesus. And so what, we, what happens, though, is we stay timid and we begin to start doubting 
like, oh man, I think I need to build up my own resume of recommendation. Like I need to, I need to kind of show my worth in the room. Have you ever been like in a prayer meeting and like everyone's like, you know, just like quoting scripture or like getting a picture or something and you're like, oh, I got nothing, you know, but you just feel like <laughs> inside, I, yeah, I, don't have a, I don't have a recommendation, but the spirit is like, no, I'm in you and I, you're the letter. I'm doing something in you. And here's what you need to have right now. Confidence that what he wrote is he will continue to write. Philippians 1.6 says, then I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul, notice he's not looking at himself and he's not looking at their fruit. He's looking at the spirit. He's like, I know the Spirit's going to keep writing this letter because I saw him start it. And so I'm convinced that all of you who have seen the Spirit work in, you can have that confidence. So I'm going to talk about how to grow in that in a second here, but let's just pause here. And I want to ask a question, but there are two different dangers in regards to what you think when I ask this question that I want to address. Okay, so here's the question, and then I'm going to tell you the two dangers that you're going to fall into. So here's the question, and this is a real question. So Holy Spirit, would you come and just help us hear? But here's the question. What do people discover when they read your life? Like what do people discover when they read your life? Okay, so here's the two dangers. I'll give them to you, and then I'll talk about each really quickly. The dangers are, uh, I'm going to call, and I borrowed this language, the disease of self-introspection, or you can even say the sin of self-introspection, and self-deception. So when I ask a question like, hey, what do people discover when they read your life? There's two dangers that we tend to go to. The first, self-introspection is this inner dialogue that often just you're always in. It's this constant inner dialogue where these truths about, hey, how do people see me? They, you just start tearing self apart. You're constantly looking in. You're, you're constantly asking, am I okay? Am I okay? It's this inner dialogue. Um, and I think the enemy often wants to come in um, and, and just lead you into spirals of you'll never change and you'll never be good enough. And, uh, you, you know, you're always broken. You just, and so what happens in this inner self you know, introspection is you, you break up a lot of pieces of your soul and how you're doing. But here's the key. The father is not in there at all. You're not really bringing Jesus' perspective in. You're not really placing yourself on the good news of the gospel. You're just kind of inside breaking up fragments, trying to figure out if you're going to be good enough with God and for God and with others. And you just, it leads to self-criticism and self-hate and it's all about you. And it's really, really weird because you think you're doing it for Jesus, but it's not. It's pride. And what happens is it breeds a kind of death. It's painful. You, you come away f uh, feeling very afraid. Self-introspection leads often to fear, self-doubt. Um, you're not really talking about the blood of Jesus. Your mind's exhausted. You feel like a failure. And it's a kind of pride that leads you. And here's the key if you know you're doing it. It'll lead you into a way to try to save yourself. You'll just think, if I, can just, if I can just be more blank, 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 blank. But, but Jesus hasn't even come in. You're just, I'm going to be more committed now. Self-introspection leads to death. That's what he's talking about when it, when it talks about the letter, the heart. There's no, there's no Holy Spirit present in that. 
What's the key then? Okay, so the Bible says examine yourself. That's biblical. So it does say examine yourself to see if you're in, you know, with the faith. But always in context, and you can test this, uh, it's always a pull outward to Jesus. Meaning this, examine yourself is about becoming present to your own heart as well as to the heart of God. Examining yourself is, is bringing yourself to your true identity in Christ. It's your new creation. You're examining not like the self-introspection. You're, you're bringing into the heart of God. You're looking at how's my grip on Jesus? How's my trust and belief in him? How's my righteousness in Christ permeating in me? How is my intimacy and abiding in his love? It's not to tear it apart, tear it apart, tear it apart, figure out what's, it's where am I standing? How is my faith? Where is my trust? Who am I looking to, the author and the perfecter? That's how you're examining. You're examining the gaze. You're examining outside of yourself. Self-introspection takes you in. Self-examination with your heart takes you into the presence of the Father. You ask questions to the Father, like what, is, what do you think is going on in my life? That's how you examine, you bring yourself to the Lord. And I share that because um, God's constantly pointing out in my life when I do give in to the sin of self-introspection, okay? And if your pastor needs to repent and begin to see himself through Jesus' loving and accepting letter-writing eyes, then maybe you do too, maybe. The second danger is on the other end. The other end is that there are some in the church whose issue isn't self-introspection, it's self-deception. That, that like there, there's no pleasure in God, there's no relational power, there's no heart orientation to love what he loves and hate what he hates. Like, you know, there's no God all week at all in any part of your week, there's no pursuit, there's no hunger. You know, it's, it's really just borrowed faith. It's, it's, it's you live in this kind of enough moralism you live on the kind of curtails of I'm better than my pocky friend or my coworker or that person on Instagram. It, you very, it's a very therapeutic religion. It, you, there's no power. There's no presence. There's no pursuit of Jesus in your life and you're self-deceived. So self-inspection is one end, but self-deception is the other one. And so this passage, when I ask the question, what do people discover when they read your life? Make sure you don't go in, go outward into the heart of the Father but you also got to make sure you're not self-deceived. So it's good to ask the Lord this question. Uh, Scott Hoffman in his commentary says it this way, and I think it's a really good way to say it. The life of faith is the work of the Spirit. And then here's where he talks. But the Spirit does not invade our lives in order to go on vacation. In view of Paul's teaching, we simply must not continue to deceive ourselves into thinking that lifestyles of self-serving greed, sexual impurity, self-preserving dishonesty, and prestige-seeking careerism are merely the result of not yet becoming who we are in Christ. Nothing less than the integrity of our message is at stake in the manner of our lives. And so the key word there is a lifestyle, not like, you know, like struggle, but if there's no heart change, then you probably need to examine yourself in that way. For those in whom the Holy Spirit dwells, you will see it. You'll see a letter. You'll be like, wow, that's, something's different. Um, so let me ask you again, what do people discover when they read your life? Now, 
Corinth was a messy church. They might see a little bit of mess and that's okay, but are they singing, who are you holding on to? Where is your joy found? Is it in circumstances or is it in Christ? Does your life, this is a good question, does it have directional power? Does it have God's life within you? Um, I'm going to share, you know, I never really boast about myself that much, but I'm going to now, okay? Because Paul does it once in a while. So uh, I'm going to boast because this happened to me this week. So uh, once a month, uh, all the North Shore pastors get together and we get together for prayer. And Mark Peters and I, uh, who's the pastor at North Shore Alliance, we are pretty good friends, um, but he hasn't seen me for a year. So a year. And like, and so he's in, so we get in the semicircle. I'm a little bit late, classic. So then I sit in the back and um, uh, we're just praying. And I start praying. And I just, I'm praying the way I normally am praying. And I've just, I, I sense the Holy Spirit say, I want you to bless the bridge. And so I just say that out loud. I just said, I said, hey, Craig, I just sense the Holy Spirit wants me to bless you and you guys. So I just started praying for him and was just, we're just praying. And so after we were done praying, Mark looks over and he's like, I haven't seen you for a year, but you're different. He's like, you're, so, he's like, you're gentle. You have like power. And I was like, oh, Mark, that's, that's really, he's like, are you different? Like he's just staring at me. And I'm like, I think I'm, I think I'm, God's been doing a lot of cool stuff in my life. He's like, you're, oh, you're different. He's like, you used to be like edgy, like, like arrogant. He just like was <laughs> ripping into me. And he's like, you're not that. He's like, you're full of the Holy Spirit. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Because he got to see the letter just through my prayers, which I didn't notice. So I was, I'm, I apologize for being arrogant and edgy before you guys. Um, I, I just think I used to come into meetings and be like, no one's preaching the Bible. Like I just would, anyway. So um, where am I going? So number one, you're a letter, okay, that Jesus himself has written and is writing. I just think, we, I just think you can thank Jesus for that. I think sometimes we don't thank him enough. You know, I mean, like Ella, like you're, you know, just, I can look at all of you guys are so different and I just want to be emotional and well up, like, because it's real. The spirit is really doing something. All right. Number two, the spirit is our penmanship and our, and he's our full sufficiency. So look at the way Paul says this, such is the confidence that we have. So the confidence in the writing that he doesn't need a recommendation through Christ toward God. I love that. He's like, I just, I'm, I live my life with God. I don't need a recommendation. Uh, verse five. Now here's, this is so cool. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves. But our sufficiency, our adequacy is from God. Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. We'll get into that next week. But not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So what Paul is recognizing that in, even in his apostleship, God bestows authority. I have given you authority and the competence. Paul says when he, we came and you believed, it was really clear that we were empowered by God. He's like, that wasn't even me. It's never been in Paul's life to have others put any confidence or competence in him. 
He's never excited about like, trust me, trust. He would never do that. He like calls his church out. He's like, you guys are like, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. He's like, who are we, man? We're just like servants of the Lord. That's immature. Like, stop it. You know, like I, I watered Paul. He's just like, it's just, this isn't us. Like none of this is us. You see any fruits, not us, it's the spirit, which made him kind of free. He was very free in that way. He's like, this is all from the spirit. He's like, my sufficiency is a real divine authority. So it isn't lack confidence, but he's like, I'm walking in a, I'm abiding and walking in a different divine strength in the spirit's ability. It's not how good our training is or how read up we are. The Holy Spirit is both the supernatural and personal presence in the person it's not in the stone, it's, it's in the life. So what Paul is gonna get to, and we'll see more next week, the law couldn't change the heart. You needed a being inside you that would, when you saw the law, would, it would come in and it would be like, hmm, nice. It would be new. You'd, you'd work from a place of freedom, not a place of obligation. And so the, my, all I wanna point out to us is the spirit is within us the penmanship of God. Now, I think it's always important when you're like, you know, like studying a letter, for example, just to keep your heart and mind in the book of Acts because the book of Acts really just shows us what the spirit life looked like. We can really get pictures of it. So I, I, I want to go to one place. So there's, there's a story in prayer in Acts chapter four, and this is where the spirit comes in, okay? So this is connected. Where after Peter and John were released, they were beaten, released from preaching the gospel uh, after Jesus healed a person and, you know, uh, more people get saved. So they give this report to the church leaders and Luke summarizes their report uh, in one verse in Acts 4.23. But then the meeting erupts into a spontaneous prayer, which is what the Spirit's doing. He's bringing us to the Father. But there's a part of this prayer, actually, I wrote it in my prayer list that I am beginning to pray every day. So look at Acts, it's going to be on the screen, but Acts 4, 29, 31. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. This is what the Spirit was doing. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus, after they played, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now notice, they did not pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? They, they didn't begin there. They prayed for boldness to speak the word, boldness to continue to see and join Jesus in what he was doing to a hostile audience. And it was in that that God basically said back to them, the only way you can speak my word boldly is to be filled with my spirit. It was like when, when we move towards the kingdom of God and kingdom living, the spirit just goes, he just comes in rumbling and with power and the sufficiency of our kingdom living is the Holy Spirit. And so that's our confidence. Like our confidence is like, he's coming with me, right? He is. And, and, um, you know, I mean, everyone who's full of the Spirit in Acts, you can, you can read it. The apostles, Stephen, Philip, Barnabas, they were all given power to testify to Jesus. I mean, that's what we're doing in our baptisms. That's what we do as we make Jesus known. 
Like the early church was known by, we just testify to Jesus. Like this is what Jesus has done. This is what Jesus is doing. This is what Jesus did. This is, this is amazing because he's really alive. They kept just testifying to him. And so I think what Paul was pointing out in them is like, you didn't just like, you know, get the warm feelings. You guys were active in the kingdom. You were like, like things were happening. And so I think when we as a church, the shore, if I could bring some challenge to us, if we woke up, and I always say wake up because the most important party where you're going that day is in the morning, and you say, I want to be with Jesus, and I want to lift up Jesus, and I want to testify to the presence of Jesus in every task, in every place I go, with every person I do it with, would you now come Holy Spirit to fill me for that, and then go do that? I just think you'll, you'll see more the sufficiency of the Spirit, that we need Him. I can't do this without Him. And, and the key is here is we're abiding. Um, this is an, this, I have to say this, so it's so tricky, but I will try my best. The worst thing you can hear in a sermon about the sufficiency of the Holy Spirit uh, is here's a rule. Like one of the worst applications would be uh, to walk by this rather than walking in this glorious, gentle, uh, free life where, the, where like you're being led by the compulsions of the spirit. I guess what I'm trying to say is that if you walk out of a sermon and you, and you feel heavy, you feel like, okay, I had to drive this thing. You don't get it. That's not what I'm saying. If you walk out of a, a sermon on the sufficiency of the Holy Spirit, you, walk, you should feel peace, joy, and anticipation of the compulsions of the Holy Spirit. So here's the key. When the Holy Spirit gives you a compulsion or an, or an impression, it's for you, which means it's very specific. It's something the Holy Spirit's doing in your life. Okay, let me say it this way. God didn't give us the Holy Spirit of suggestion. We're not like, Holy Spirit of suggestion, please come. No. He's like the Holy Spirit of God. So our job is to not look at how God's Spirit's moving through there and this person on Instagram and this book I read and Francis Chan in, in Thailand. Like our job is to live in and with an abiding presence of the Lord. And when he says, hey, I want you to say amen, you say amen. In the middle of the worship service, if you feel like the Holy Spirit's like, I want your hands up, you don't go, mm, mm that was spirit of suggestion. Mm, mm I don't look weird. You go, you move. If, if the spirit says, pray for that person, you go, mm, that's just me. No, no, no. That's the Holy Spirit. So then you go do it. We really have to move. If you're gonna walk with the Holy Spirit, you really have to love obedience and risk. Obedience and risk is how Paul lived his life. It was obedience because you're testifying to what? The full sufficiency of the spirit. You're testifying like, hey, this is what God is showing me. And so as gently as possible as I can say this, when he gives you something, someone to pray for, anything, a verse connected to a person, begin to dialogue with the Holy Spirit. Why am I, just ask him, why did this person come to mind? And you might hear, because I love them. And you're like, okay, I do too, thank you. Is there anything you want me to do about it? 
yeah, I want you to go and do, but you just, that's, you know, you go. And invite the Holy Spirit into your Bible reading. Say, I really want to see what you wrote and see. Okay, and he will. He's really real. But when he asks you to do something, when he asks you to share the gospel, and you know it, he's not the suggesting spirit. He's not the good intention spirit. He's, here's what he's telling you. I have power for you when you do this. That's what he's saying. I'm giving you power for this. Trust in my sufficiency and take a risk. Take a risk. So when God gives you something, do it. The third member of the Trinity is really, really real. And he's, he's there to make Jesus known. If the spirit within, let me say this, is not... Um, a part of your inner life with the Lord, I think there's an aspect of your Christian walk that is missing. I'm not saying you're not a Christian, but I'm saying life in the spirit is how we live. And um, Paul knew this is all he had and this is all he needed. Placing a real living confidence in God who gives us our sense of competence and our hope and our healing and our boldness is what it means to not be sufficient in ourselves. You know, so like the other day we were, Sean and I were at a soccer practice and um, I just, I was so tired, but I walked into the field and I said, Holy Spirit, I, I don't feel like it, but if you want to get into a conversation with one of the dads here about you, let's, I'm in. So I'm praying the whole time. And he opens the door and I, we just get to start sharing the gospel with one of the dads. And it was the other day I'm at a soccer game. This is the only time I'm with non-Christian other, you know, uh, unless with my neighbors. Uh, again, I'm sitting next to another guy. I asked the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? I don't hear anything. So I'm like, okay, whew, I can just watch the game. And so then this guy comes up and we start talking and, and he, he looks like he's, a lot, he's in a lot of pain. I asked him, are you in pain? He's like, oh yeah, I got crazy back stuff and uh, just tragic accident. Uh, and we knew someone who used to go to the shore. She came from the uh, Salvation Army. Margot, again, anybody remember Margot, the, 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 the gal from Quebec? Uh, so she used to go there and, and he was not, he's still not a believer, but he would go there and help volunteer and, and she would always share the gospel with him. And, and so we made that connection and I just felt the Lord say, I want you to pray for healing. I was like, oh, this is gonna be but I just told him, I just said, I don't know, but I want to let you know that God really loves you. And he said, no. He's like, my mom tells me that all the time. And I'm like, that's good. And I said, now you have a pastor who can tell you that. But can I pray for healing for you? He wells up. He's like, that would be amazing. And I just prayed. I prayed for healing. I wish I could tell you, like, and then this thunder. It's like, but no. But all I'm telling you is my sufficiency in that moment wasn't that I could do anything. It was like... If God heals you, he might. And I just think we need to begin to walk in life with the spirit. If he tells you to like say amen during a sermon and you feel it, just say it. The more we can obey, the more life we'll get. And we can start living like the, they did in the Bible. All right, let's pray. So Father, I just thank you for oh, your goodness. Lord, it's amazing to think about the life of the Spirit in you. And I just pray now, Holy Spirit, would you just fill Eric? 
just thank you for him. And I just, I pray as he just comes now and shares his testimony, uh, Lord, that we would just boast. We could see the, like, you're writing a letter. And it's all the Spirit's presence and power. And so, and we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on up. So this is Eric, everyone. I can never say your last name perfectly. Okay. You might have to, you might have to share how you say your last name. But we're so excited. Before you talk, though, I want to, can I share a really cool yes. story that I've, it's never happened to me, so it's, it was amazing. But um, so Eric, Eric was invited to church, correct, by Rhonda and Terry, Terry that's right, Terry. And uh, at that point, you weren't, you were, you were like kind of growing up in this faith, but not really a follower of Jesus. And I remember I was preaching on the love of the Father and uh, that really ministered to you. And we prayed after and talked after. And then I rem- so we went for a walk like two or three days later. And here's what he says to me. He's like, I don't know if you remember this, but you said to me, you were like, uh, like, how do you get the glow? I'm like, what? And, and you were like, yeah, how do you get the glow? I'm like, what glow? He's like, every time you preach, there's like a glow around your head. That's why I keep coming back. And, <laughs> and I was like, well, that's, and I said, that's, and I remember saying to you, that's the, actually the Holy Spirit. He's showing you that he loves you. So anyways, yeah, would love to hear a little bit of your story. And then please come out uh, to Deep Cove. It's, okay, I'll let Chris. you share. All right. I, I got shouldn't a, touch I got you. That was voice. I don't know if I need the mic. I guess for friends online, we do. So we're, we're good on that. Okay. Um, so first off, to all of you short church people, um, I wanted to say thanks for being warm and welcoming and not judgmental. And I wanted to take the time today to just thank Jesus for coming into my life. Um, As James said, you know, I was being um, kind of flirted with around um, the alpha dinners. And and I just said, no, I just want to come to church. So it's kind of where I started. That was back on March 1st. Um, And yeah, James did a special service about orphan sons and gave me uh, this Bible. And we shared a couple of manly hugs back when that was uh, legal. yeah, then I went down to Lynn Creek, and I just sat in the sun, and I started reading the gospel and, and learning about the, the best dad of all time. And I was impressed by his gentle and loving approach to life. Um, he didn't have a life of luxury. He overcame immense obstacles. He didn't have possessions or physical tools or gear, all the stuff that we're way too centered on. Um, he fed the many. He healed the afflicted, and he changed people's minds. Um, He made a lot of friends. Jesus went around doing his life, making a lot of friends, and uh, ultimately became the ultimate sacrifice. He gave himself up without a fight. Uh, He was mocked and tortured right until his death, and in those moments, he acted with empathy and love and forgiveness. He stayed true to who he was. He was unbroken against the system. And he absorbed the sin of the world, past, present, and future. His body was entombed, and the guards posted at the entrance. Uh, Three days later, his friends went back, found his tomb empty, his corpse gone. I think it's in Luke. They say he had a folded face cloth on what what was to be his final resting place. Um, He returned to his people, healed and risen up, and as he had often foretold. And his people continued to do great things with his connection and support. Um, my reading, I started reading with John, and for me it was pretty obvious that John was tight with Jesus in, in the way that he talks about him, like that he's one of the first guys to go 
to his tomb. He outruns the other friends. Um, in, in some versions, they call him uh, the other disciple that Jesus loved. Maybe he loved them all. I don't know. Um, but Jesus tells, or John, John tells us about a time when Nicodemus and Jesus were talking. And Nicodemus had been, as you guys probably already know, um, had been a Jew working in the higher rank of the religious authority. And he met Jesus, and it, it just kind of changed everything for him. And um, so uh, Nicodemus asks what he can do. And Jesus says, a person must be born again to see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus asks, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? To which Jesus replied, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. So that's Holy Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it, it comes from or where it goes to. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So when I, when I was a young man, um, I kind of believed I could do everything by myself, even if nobody was helping me. And I was constantly just struggling against the universe. And I was often met with resistance and frustration. Sometimes I felt completely cursed by my failings and shortcomings. And it's, uh, it's pretty exhausting to live like that. So yeah, right around March 1st, I decided to, as my friend said, uh, take the free 60-day trial. Just, just, just go with it. Just let Jesus into my heart and treat him like the most loving father of all time. Um, to make him my teacher, to be humble before him, you know, to be honest and open. And in return, um, I felt he really loved me just for being his son. So he forgave me, forgives me. We spend time in each other's company. I sleep better. I digest better. I'm more loving and I'm more gentle. I try to judge others less. Um, I'm warmer to strangers. I'm more comfortable in my own skin. I'm more comfortable in my life. So I wish to deepen this friendship with the Heavenly Father. As I go under the water today, I hope the son who was made to be afraid, feel shame, neglect, I hope he dies. As I resurface and breathe in my first breath, I know Jesus, I hope Jesus knows how thankful I am that he came into my life and I hope to follow him and be the best dad in the world. I'm looking to double down on the bromance. I'll follow him in life and death. I'm gonna close with some little more John. It's John chapter 14, if you like that sort of thing. Um, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of the truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but, but you know him for he dwells within you and will be within you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You will also live. In that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. It continues, rise, let us go from here. Yeah.